Hello, and thanks for joining me for another edition of Face the Facts. I'm your host, April Moss. Today, we're going to be discussing free speech with Jason Fick. He's the founder of the Social Media Freedom Foundation, and he's a regular contributor and author at The Federalist. Many of you conservative listeners have probably read his writings on there. And we're going to be going into a lot of detail regarding Section 230 and his legal battles over the last four years, uh, battling big tech and the court system. Why is it important to you? We're going to get into all of this in my discussion with Jason. First, a word from our sponsor. Face the Facts is sponsored today by Kirk Elliott Wealth Management. Hedge your wealth and your savings against rising inflation by switching over to gold and silver. Kirk Elliott and his experienced team will help you do just that. Just contact them at the link below and tell them April Moss sent you and they'll give you all the information you need to secure your future wealth. Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So tell everybody about your, you've really been working on this for what, longer than a year now? Uh, we've been on in almost four years, actually almost. now over four years at this point. And, and tell everybody about uh, what you're doing in the court system. You've, you've filed legal action uh, regarding Section 230, but bring everybody up to speed on Section 230 and, and why this is so important. So here's the timeline. Uh, along uh, this was 2016. Facebook took down six of my pages, um, and they claimed somehow it's offensive. Right? That's how they get these protections from Section 230. And almost everybody knows they've they've heard of this law, and that's the the law that protects like all these big tech companies. So that when they took my content, I, I proved that the content actually had nothing to do with why they took it down. It was really a financial issue. So in 2018, we sued them. And we took it through the Northern District Court, and they got it completely wrong. Um, it, believe it or not, it was actually a textual issue. They didn't even read it for what the, the statute says. Uh, we then took that to the Ninth Circuit Court, and the Ninth Circuit Court essentially doubled down. They, they didn't want to fix it. I mean, it, at the time, it seemed negligent uh, that they didn't handle what it was, but it's becoming more and more apparent that it is actually a willful disregard for fixing this problem, that this is the courts are not doing it. So we then went uh, up to the Supreme Court and we said to the Supreme Court, hey, um, you know, there, there's this problem with Section 230. Could you handle it? Now, this was back in 2020. OK, when we hit the Supreme Court, we, we said there's this problem. It's a matter of national importance. And just as we were about to go into the into that filing, the petition for writ of cert in the Supreme, another case, Enigma versus Mauerbites came along and it proved 100 percent. We sh I sh my case should not have been dismissed, period. And the reason they said that is because most people don't realize this, but there is something called a general provision, meaning the entire thing, the whole provision, they must act as a good Samaritan, right? Good Samaritan is actually in quotes because it's articulated in the statute. Most people have no idea that exists. Well, that's what Enigma realizes that anti-competitive behavior, well, you're fundamentally not a good Samaritan, are you, right? Mm -hmm. You're stealing stuff for your own financial gain. Well, unfortunately, the, the Supreme Court didn't hear the case. So what do we do? Well, now that we have a conflict between the Ninth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit, because they were both Ninth Circuit decisions, and most cases are end up in the Ninth Circuit, we went back to the Northern District of California, to the original district court, which now an interesting sort of development here is, is that the judge had retired 
but he held on to this case. Interestingly yeah, that enough. Make sense. When, how often does that happen? Mm. So what ended up happening is after we pled this and said, look, you guys have a conflict between the Ninth Circuit saying that 230C1 is protection from all publishing, which is what they believe is the case. That's wrong. And that actually, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But they believed all publishing is protected and then said the general provision doesn't, which precedes it, says that anti-competitive uh, removals is not okay. Well, you conflict with yourself, right? So it was an internal circuit court conflict. Well, that's not something the Supreme Court generally handles and probably why they denied a cert. We were effectively too ahead of our time. So when we gave this back to the Northern District and said, hey, look, can you sort this out? Believe it or not, that judge basically came to the very simple conclusion. Now, this was in a two-pager that took him seven months while retired to tell us, uh, well, Enigma was a 230C2 case, and your case was a 230C1 case. Eh, dismissed. Well, there's a thing called a whole text canon. You're supposed to look at the, the, the whole statute as a whole piece, right? Mm -hmm. Well, guess where the general provision falls? Before both of them. It's supposed to. Wow. So essentially what he said here is, is the general provision doesn't apply generally. That's stupid. Yeah. I mean, that, it's like yeah. you don't have to be a lawyer to understand a general provision would apply generally. So we went back to the ninth. That was the second time around. We went back to the ninth circuit and we said, hey, look, it either has to apply generally or based on this other case that just happened was a Jar um, Jarkesi versus the SEC. So the formal name for a, a general provision is called an intelligible principle. Right. These are the things that nobody talks about with Section 230. They just want to believe they can do everything they want. No, that's not how it works. It's the courts won't fix this. So we went there and we said, well, either it applies generally or if it doesn't have an intelligible principle per this other case, it's unconstitutional. We gave them the catch 22. We said, there's no way out. This thing is supposed this should not have been dismissed, period. You know what the Ninth Circuit Court did? What they say. Instead of respecting my constitutional rights to seek redress for my grievances against Facebook or justice, for that matter, they now you have to realize Facebook never argued this. The Northern District Court never argued this. They did what's called going sui sponte. And essentially what that means is spontaneously. They just said, you know what? You didn't uh, file within a reasonable time. Procedurally dismissed. Forget justice. Forget yeah. the truth. Forget the answer. They dumped it. And we went, wait, 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 wait a second. You must have missed something in our timeline because we literally almost never, ever stopped from court to court to court to court to court over four years, right? Right. No. One word denied. But April, then a miracle happened. And that is why we're here to talk about something that changed mm -hmm. everything. Right before we like essentially actually right after we filed the motion for reconsideration that was ultimately denied the fourth circuit court did something that the ninth circuit court was just unwilling to do so there's this case called henderson versus uh private data out of the fourth circuit court what they did was they actually went back and they considered the statute de novo right which means a new they started all over again and they looked at it. and that's how we did it we just started from the beginning and said how does this thing actually work what makes sense so they looked at it and they actually so here's the thing about that the fourth circuit that's cool is the first circuit 
that ever considered Section 230 after it was originally, you know, passed was the Fourth Circuit Court. And they determined a case called Zoran versus America Online who got it wrong. Now, even if you can say that, well, maybe it was partially right, the problem was is that the, the things that they said taken out of context don't mean what they had intended in the court. And what I mean by that is, is that the, the Fourth Circuit Court said that 230C1 protects all publishing decisions, decisions whether to remove, edit, or allow content. Well, that's everything, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. literally every single thing that they can do online because any publication is, is covered. And the reason they did that is because they misinterpreted the text of the statute. And they said, well, you can't treat them as a publisher. But that's not what it says. It says specifically, you cannot treat them as the publisher. And in my scenarios, just so you understand this, I was not treating Facebook as the publisher. Because you know who the publisher was of my content? You. Me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't treating them as me. I was treating them as a publisher in addition to me. Mm -hmm. And guess what the Fourth Circuit did? The Fourth Circuit took Zoran and they actually undid it. They clarified what happened in Zoran and said, no, 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 no. The publishing decisions, which aren't really publishing decisions, they're editorial functions mm -hmm. in 230C1 because the thing that most people can, can get confused about is they're a publisher no matter what. They're a publisher even as a passive distributor because it's still a publishing function. The service itself is a publishing service. So the publisher thing, the publisher makes a very big difference because in the circumstance of 230C1, they are a publisher. But what the Fourth Circuit said is, no, those elements that are publishing are, are relegated to, uh, what do they say? Uh, footnoting or no foot not footnotes um procedural functionality is what they said so procedural functionality is your service publishing right it's where they're not really involved they're not the publisher they're not a publisher they're just not held accountable for what other people did that's not what the courts did they, they turned around they said they're not even responsible for what they do themselves actively the fourth circuit clarified this stuff and what it did was it it provides me with a direct conflict because legitimately, the Ninth Circuit relied on Barnes. Barnes relied on uh, Seeks and um, Zoran. It all comes back to this one case. So the fundamental foundation of this glass house that they built just cracked. It's The whole thing just changed. So that puts us in a situation now where the Ninth Circuit has denied us. And we our next step is the United States Supreme Court. We're about to do a petition for writ of cert while they're already considering 230. Now, this is very important because Gonzalez case is one way to consider Section 230, but it does not go to the extent we went. We went through all of it. And if the Supreme Court were to accept our case as well, because we now have a circuit court conflict that needs to be addressed by them because the Supreme Court's the only tiebreaker. They, they're the only ones that can they can break this tie because we have a conflict between the ninth and the fourth, and now we also have ninth and the fifth. There's all this mess. They need to fix it. That's so where we're at pretty, right now. You have pretty high confidence that the Supreme Court will hear your case. I mean, obviously, we don't know, but you're hoping that they will, considering you've been in the court system for the last four years with this. So tell me a little bit about, for the average person, you know, what would this do if you got your way in court? The Supreme Court 
gives you a favorable outcome, what will this do for not just you, but for so many other people and help them understand why you are in this fight? So let me sort of bring you to where this thing changes, okay? So right now, algorithms, right? Algorithms are still part of the service functionality, but what do the algorithms do? They decide what you see, correct? Right? Mm -hmm. So whatever you're seeing in those algorithms, the algorithms are manipulating the content so that you see it. They're advancing it. They're, they're pushing it forward. Well, those are all synonymous words with the word development, right? So you create content, but if the company actively does any kind of content moderation at all, they are developing it because they're manipulating it in some way, right. shape, or form. All the way down to its algorithm is manipulating that content. The thing about this is, is there, there is a portion of, of the, the statute that people don't know about generally, uh, and that says that a content provider, this is not a service provider, a content provider is any person or entity who is responsible in whole or even in part, even minimally for the creation or development, meaning they don't actually have to change content in the physical sense. Like they don't have to change something from black to white or, or change its, you know, anything about it. What they have to develop, it really comes down to any manipulation at all. Well, well, think about this. If de development goes back to what it really means and that 230C1 is only a protection when they're not involved in any publication decision, it's just a service, right? Then it means that the courts would properly apply it to 230C2, which hasn't happened. Believe it or not, out of 500 roughly cases, a study was done, out of 500 content moderation cases, only 19 ever applied to 230C2, which is the correct section, hmm. meaning it's been wrong on a massive level. The vast majority of cases have been dismissed wrongly. They've got to undo this mess. And in doing so, what happens is the internet fundamentally changes. You're seeing a lot of weird changes, right? People getting fired at a lot of these big companies, big layoffs. Yeah, yeah, man. Because the apocalypse is coming. Yep. And they know it. And the thing that they didn't count on with me, and I mean, I warned them. I was, I told them flat out, I am relentless. I do not stop. And the reason, I know I'm right. And in fact, the Fourth Circuit proves I'm right. Now I've got the Fourth Circuit agreeing with me and the Ninth Circuit disagreeing with me. Who else can fix this but the Supreme Court? That's why we need them. And I and I hold out hope because you said that you hope that they'll do it. I have seen the most disgusting behavior out of some of these these courts. They just don't do the job when you make it. Right now, I'm dealing with the Attorney General of the United States in a constitutional challenge of Section 230. That's a whole other case we haven't even talked about. And in that circumstance, you know what the AG just said? He said that he cannot make a distinction in a 143-page constitutional challenge between whose actions are whose. He keeps saying to the court, oh, I'm holding them accountable for what Facebook did to me. And then it's like, no, I sued Facebook for what Facebook did to me. Mm -hmm. Then the courts denied me constitutional right because Congress passed a law, the executive branch ratified that law, and then the United States judiciary enforced that law, denying me of all remedy. He, wow. I mean, just flat lied in circumstances. He said, well, in the first court, well, then you can go to appeals. No, I already went through all the, all the appeals, all the way to the Supreme Court once. They denied me a single hearing, nothing. Yet they they protect the illegal taking of my liberty, my property. I mean, what are they going to say next? Big tech can kill you? Hey, you know, it's an affirmative defense. 
Mm-hmm. It's that ridiculous right now. Well, I mean, that that's the, the day and age that we're living in with, you know, corrupt court systems and, you know, the oligarchy that is big tech right now. Uh, Jason, I really appreciate you joining us today and, and filling us in. Please come back on the show when uh, you have an update and, and hopefully an update that the Supreme Court is at least going to hear this case. Um, do you have any time frame of when you're thinking you might you might know? Uh, well, we're, we are trying to rush this along in the next uh, 30 to 45 days. We'll have the Supreme Court cert out. And the re- I mean, we have 90 days to do it. But the, the reality is we've got to get this in quick. Um, I am working with certain congressional members like Congressman Gohmert uh, has actually um, agreed to to author a, a, a an amicus support That's uh, because he agrees with it. And actually, and I just want to make a couple other points out here real quick. Um, this is not a cheap fight. This has been entirely on my back. And we've done it for a long time. I formed the Social Media Freedom Foundation at socialmediafreedom.org. If you want more information, there's tons of it in there. I mean, you can find some of the links that explain this stuff like nobody else. Because there's lots of trolls out there that sit there. Oh, he's crazy. Fourth Circuit just proved I'm not crazy. They actually proved that we're right. But Mm -hmm. go there. If you can help, help. We we need the donations because we are. I am not by any means a corporation. I am I am doing this Mm -hmm. for all Americans. And in fact. We're, we're going to be hosting, and April, I'd even like to invite you, uh, May 11th through 13th in California, we, uh, Palm Springs. We are having an event called the Internet Equality Summit, um, hosted by the Social Media Freedom Foundation. And we, we'd absolutely love to invite you to come. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. It would be an honor to be there. Appreciate you. And, um, and I hope that by May, we're going to have a really great outcome with this. I am a, I am a positive person. I am a half-class full type of girl, but... Um, thank you so much, Jason. And we will make sure that we link uh, your website down below so that people can donate. And, um, you know, we're getting into the season of the holidays and of giving. And what better way to be able to give financially than to a cause that could radically transform the Internet for good? It helps everybody help themselves. And it's tax deductible. Like we are fighting for your freedoms online. Jason, thank you so much. Appreciate all you do. Looking forward to having you back on the show. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Face the Facts. Make sure you please consider donating to Jason's nonprofit organization. That link is below. And also make sure you contact Kirk Elliott Wealth Management to switch over your savings to gold and silver. Kirk Elliott Wealth Management. We thank you so much for sponsoring this episode of Face the Facts on Real America's Voice, all podcast platforms, as well as Rumble. Thanks for being here. God bless.